0: a podcast about people for people welcome to taylor a space where we as millennials talk about the issues that matter to us we explore the moments in life which moved challenged and shaped us into the people we are we're here to laugh share listen and talk about it all the following content contains graphic conversations about physical and sexual abuse and drug addiction. If you are affected by these things, please feel free to skip this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back um, to another podcast. And I'm here with my friend Blair. And today, we are going to be talking about mental health. So, did you want to introduce yourself? I don't know, anything interesting and who you are?
1: Okay, sure. Um, My name is Blair. I'm 28 years old, born and bred in Brisbane. And mental health has been something that has been a part of my life, most of my life. um, uh, It it has affected, like, my family, my friends, my interpersonal relationships, and also my career. So, uh, when you asked me to talk about mental health, I was absolutely thrilled to be part of something that I'm so passionate about
0: yeah it came up so randomly because so Blair and I work together and then we just we were once just chatting and got into this huge dnm about life and i was just like oh my gosh and i just thought it'd be like really good to talk to you about this um but let's just start with like where you so you were born in brisbane yeah um so kind of like your family dynamic from like when you were born to the age of
1: six Totally. So, um, upper middle class sort of background type to give you that kind of indication. Yeah. Very white,
0: yeah.
1: you know, lived in the suburbs. Um, but when my, like, cause I'm the eldest, my, I've got a little brother. And when, uh, I was three, my little brother was born. Whilst my mum was pregnant with my brother, she found out she had leukemia.
0: Oh my God. That is insane.
1: So, um, I was about six. My brother was two and a half when she actually passed away.
0: Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: That really shocked that family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an indication of like that as well, like my father was like much older than my mother. My mother had strong ties to uh, her family. Like mm-hmm. her mum and dad lived a few houses down on the same street, and then like her brother and his family was, like, the street over. And there was a very much, like, us first them mentality when it came to my dad once my mother passed. So that made it pretty difficult. But uh, my dad's upbringing is pretty tragic. Um, He is the youngest of four. Uh, His mother suffered really badly with post uh, uh, depression.
0: Is that when you have a child and then you get... Yeah, like
1: having yeah, like the hormonal like chemical imbalance in your brain, because pregnancy and giving birth is such a traumatic event on the human body.
0: Like, yeah,
1: it's there's so many hormones and stuff. So uh, basically, what I found out is because um, this is in the fifties, my ba- my father was born in 1954. Mm. That my father tried to keep, like my father's father tried to keep that under wraps because back then if you were institutionalized you were never basically seen again
0: oh really yeah like you just disappeared yeah
1: Yeah. or you just you know got lost in the system
0: yeah yeah
1: there wasn't the same sort of treatment of mental health these days that we have and we still don't know a lot but back then we knew even less yeah so it's like shock treatment Mm. and you know um just not nice so my.
0: That's so sad to think that, like, even if you had, like, a mental health sort of problem back then, that you couldn't even really speak up about it because you were, like, scared about what people would think about you and furthermore how that would, like, affect your life and whatnot. In the
1: family dynamic, you know, like, my grandfather was a fireman, which was, you know, a prestigious job but still not, like, very well paid back then. Mm. Um, And my grandmother was just a stay-at-home mother with four children. Yeah. Um, My dad was an accent, so it was kind of like there was this apprehension and tension around his birth because of the whole, like, drama that followed with his sisters. Um, Like, my grandmother would call up my grandfather at work and say, like, I'm going to put Patricia in the oven. Oh, my God. And then I'm going to kill myself like that kind of really graphic
0: threat yeah.
1: so um there was this yeah. whole like around my father's birth like is this going to be the same thing yeah and that sort of followed his upbringing up until he was 15 and he got a apprenticeship mm. and like he came home on the last day of his first week at work to find his mother dead in the kitchen. She had gassed herself.
0: Wow.
1: So there was just this finality of like, okay, my final child is like an adult and can take care of themselves. Like, I don't need to be here anymore. Yeah. And, you know, my, my father has told me that his father was not never really physically abusive, but mm-hmm. very verbally And emotionally abusive.
0: Yeah, yeah. How do you think that affected your dad mentally and how it affected the way that he, like, raised
1: you? Oh, completely. (laughs) No, um, he didn't really have a lot of support networks, obviously it was all like my mum and then when my mum died her family were very like you know made it very hard for them they would be a part of our life but it was very much you're not welcome towards my father
0: yeah which
1: you know i only found out recently Mm. why that was within the last year so it was a lot of like I don't know why this otherness existed
0: yeah
1: yeah so um the way it impacted my father's parenting is that he just did not have the ability to emotionally regulate himself to self-soothe so like he would snap over nothing and he would go too far sometimes with like Uh, physical punishment um, because there was not another adult to sort of balance that out and you know he's also working full time and trying to raise two children by himself so you know in hindsight I go okay I can see like he definitely tried but Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not sure what it would, if there were the resources that they are, there are today for single parents.
0: Yeah, completely. When would you say that you started to directly experience like symptoms of like mental
1: health? Like at what age? Uh, 11. 11? 11 is when I started to self-harm.
0: Yeah. What was that triggered by?
1: Um, Molestation by, like, a family friend. Mm. Yeah. So um, I didn't really know what was going on. Like, I was a child um, and there's this guilt of, like, your body reacting to what's happening. But your soul and your essence and your mind, like, not wanting that to happen. Mm. So you almost feel portrayed by what actions your body are doing. And, you know, it took me many years and many hours of therapy to go, even though my body has had like a reaction to what you would say is like an orgasm. Mm. That doesn't mean that's my fault. Mm. And that's that doesn't mean that I deserved that or I wanted that. Mm. And, you know, that's a lot for an 11-year-old to take on. yeah. So, um, I expressed that through self harm, like uh, scratching and biting mainly. And um, then it sort of escalated to actually cutting. And um, they tried to put me in therapy. Like, I've been in therapy basically since my mum passed away.
0: Yeah. So, like, oh,
1: she's old enough to to know stuff. So, they put me in therapy. And then.
0: When you say they, like, as in your dad? Your
1: dad. And, like,. I guess, in an essence, my mum's side of the family did have some input mm-hmm. with our upbringing. Um, and my dad never tried to stop us from seeing them, which I think was extremely gracious considering uh, the crap they put him through.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. And, like, when did someone start to notice that you were, like,
1: self-harming? Uh, it was at school. Yeah. Um, friends of mine uh, came over... F- a birthday party of mine actually and when i was like in the bathroom they found my uh diary mm. and they had read about the uh molestation that i had written in this diary and um they decided to talk to their parents who then contacted the school mm. who had a legal obligation to uh call the police and so then it all sort of came out there like um, I remember being like in a room with my teacher who I didn't like very much yeah <laughs> and a police officer like having to go into great depths about like mm. what happened when it happened how often it happened mm. And um, then when I got picked up from school that day, my dad's reaction was to minimise it because the person who assaulted me was the son of his partner. So he didn't mm. want to end that relationship. So he he minimised that, really. And Were
0: you living with this person? or was No.
1: It- they, my mum had a very, like, ironclad will. So, like, if my dad ever got anyone to live in our family home or if he wanted to live with another partner Mm. he had to sell that home and put mine and my brother's shares like in an account
0: yeah okay
1: so he was very like particular about keeping his partner at her home.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, but there was my dad being a firefighter. If you recall like in New South Wales during those dry seasons, they they get those really bad bushfires. Yeah. So my dad put his hand up to get, you know, to down there to help out. Some extra money, mm-hmm. and because it for, was it for an extended few weeks, um, my dad organised for us to stay with his partner as opposed oh, okay. to our regular caregiver when he yeah. goes away because she would have asked for a lot of money
0: yeah yeah
1: so um it happened there and how old
0: was the boy 16 oh my god that's horrific and you would have you was 11
1: or Uh, i was 11
0: yeah 11 that is mm, yeah
1: and so like it was sort of explained to me that oh well you know he has adhd and you know that's a symptom of that is like hypersexuality and you know it was all like Explained and put in a box for me in that, like, logical sense, which didn't really help me emotionally to heal. Yeah. Um, But it was always minimised. Like, my dad was like, oh, well, you know, there was no penetration, so it's Mm -hmm. not that big of a deal. (sighs) So I was made to still interact with these people, but after it came out, Mm -hmm. if I expressed the need to not go over there, my dad wouldn't push it. Yeah. Um, however, when the police came over to go through with their investigation, um, I didn't know it was happening until there was a knock on the door and mm. my dad just says, okay, there's the police. They're going to make you sign some paperwork. And I remember reading it because my dad wouldn't tell me what it was about and it was uh, dropping all charges against mm. uh, the boy who had molested me
0: yeah if you could speak to your dad in that moment like what would you have wanted from him like as a father and to help like your mental state
1: um he just should have protected me I think Mm -hmm. you know that's something I think about to this day why didn't you protect me Mm -hmm. you know this is a recurrent theme in a relationship with my father um you know something recently happened with his wife and I like it was just simple as I told my dad on the phone it's too too hard for me to get to your place Christmas Day. Let's catch up after Boxing Day. But my father's had a stroke recently and his memory isn't good. He's forgotten to pass the message on to his now wife, who's a different woman Mm. from the one we're discussing. And I spent the day with my brother. Um, When she saw those pictures on Facebook, she decided to pop a message on my Facebook wall. Basically, like abusing me and saying like, you know, I'm a bad person and don't trust me. And oh
0: my god, it was
1: very dramatic. So yeah, and considering like our our workplace mm-hmm. um, management likes to have us on Facebook, I just felt like that was very targeted. Yeah, and so when I tried to have a very adult, calm, like discussion about it I was met with verbal abuse and my dad just said look I've got to stand by my wife and I said you don't actually you don't actually have to follow your your partner blindly Mm. but he has always placed more importance on that that partner throughout my life and um, it would be um, ignorant of me to expect different at this point I think
0: yeah how do you think from like what has happened all in like your experience um as like a child how have those like traumatic events affected like your adulthood
1: Absolutely. Um, So I have very poor impulse control and that really surfaced once I turned 18. You know, um, there was an instance of where this, the second eldest brother then raped me once I turned 18.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So that was my first sexual experience uh, in terms of like...
0: Wait, like your dad was still with that same woman?
1: Absolutely. Uh, They only broke up because she ended it in the end and they were together like 15 years. Is, I think like that story is like she was herself like her father like sexually abused and raped her and her brothers and like pimped them out she decided to like take him to court mm. over it and his side of the family is very rich and they will like drop charges and we'll keep you in the will and she said no I'm not I'm doing this. So she was disinherited Mm. and um, she ended up getting married to a guy having four children and he abused crap out of her. And um, her point of leaving was when he locked her and all the kids in the house and was throwing gasoline over it. And then that was her breaking point. So she moved up to Queensland and lived in, like, housing commission houses. Um, A mutual friend of my father and hers introduced each other. Mm. And I I think for a long time she turned... Turned a blind eye to the way that she treated like he treated us and how she felt about that to keep herself safe
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and as a single parent with four children who you know had severe adhd and and other plethora of like issues like i can't blame her for having that attitude towards my father Mm -hmm. because it was a survival tactic yeah And, you know, with my father's help, she was able to get out of bankruptcy. She was able to buy a home. And then once those things all got in a row, she had a good job, good income and everything, I guess she kind of realised, well, I don't really need him anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's hard. Like, you know, I, I feel for my dad. Like, he loved her. But I can also see exactly where she's coming from.
0: Yeah. Well, when you were 18 and that incident happened... Did you speak to anyone about it?
1: Um, At first I stayed quiet um, because I was living in that home at that point because my father had, quote, had enough of me and Mm. just told me, like, you're going to go live with my partner. Uh, Even
0: though he knew, like, all of that history?
1: Yes. So my bedroom was actually, like, a converted dining room, so I didn't actually have, like, a door. Oh,
0: okay, Um, yeah.
1: And, you know, at this stage in my life, I was pretty sure I was gay just because I had no interest in men from my previous, like, experience. As an 11-year-old, I was
0: scared of
1: men. I was scared of sex. And, you know, I was just, like... Reading feminist literature straight out of high school, and I was mm. just like, "Yeah, fuck, man." <laughs> yeah, very second wave feminist books, I went out, and um, I don't know. Just one day, he um, decided to change that dynamic because you know we were quite close, and I regarded him like my brother and my best friend. And um, I can I can see the whole night very vividly. Like he had the day, like the week off work because it was his birthday. Like he was having a drink. He's like, "Come." have a drink with me. I'm like, I've got to go to bed. I've got work in the morning. And then I ended up saying like, look, I'll have a drink with you, but then I'm going to bed. And then, um, you know, we're tipsy and we're talking as we usually do. This is a common occurrence in the house. It's not a new situation. And then I remember being like, oh, I'm really thirsty. It's like, oh, I'll get you water. And he gave me a cup. And it was just vodka. And then I was like, what the fuck? And I started using a homophobic slur against him because he was quite homophobic. Mm. And, um, then he said, I'll show you what a homophobic phobic I can do and like started coming towards me and i just remember being in that moment like what <laughs> like where is this going i ended up telling him to you know f off and leave me alone but um he followed me into my bedroom and um just kept touching me and i kept going like go away go away go away and i think there was just a part of me that was just like if you just let him do this it will be over soon and i just kind of froze on that thought. And um, I kind of just went away for a bit. I just uh, blacked out, essentially. And I remember waking up the next morning, getting ready for work, and, like, my entire chest was covered in bruises. Like, there was blood all down my legs. And I just remember thinking, like, have a shower, get dressed, go to work. Like, you just have to go to work. Like, it'll be all better. Like, you can think about it when you get home. Yeah. And, you know, that was incredibly hard living in that house with him and someone who i thought was my best friend i just i couldn't even look at anymore i didn't talk to him um and when it was his birthday like a couple of days later i actually threw his gift at him and i walked out that night once everyone had gone to bed and I'd had a couple of drinks that I confronted him and I like broke down. I was like, you know, like, why would you do that to me? You're my brother. You're my best friend. Like why? And, um, you know, he was like, I'm so sorry. Like it will never happen again. And it immediately happened again. Um, at this point we were outside and he overpowered me, um, on, and I was lying down on the driveway at that point. Um, his mother came out and caught us. Mm. She called me a whore and, like, grabbed my bedding and threw it at me and kicked me out. And, um, I turned to my brother and I said, take me to my dad's house. And he's like, I'm not driving anywhere. And I kind of snapped. I was like, this is all your fault. You need to do this for me. And he did. And yeah. I showed up on my do- dad's doorstep in the middle of the night. And I like, in tears, I was like, you know, she caught us. Um, I didn't want it to happen like i didn't want it like i never wanted it to happen and and this and my dad's just like come inside go to bed and we'll deal with it in the morning Mm. it was never discussed it was never talked about ever again
0: after that
1: no Mm. (laughs) 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 so that um, for me, then caused me to go. Because at that point, I thought sex was something to be mm-hmm. a little bit special, particularly for my first time. Like, I like I went to, like, private schools, and we were always taught, like, abstinence. Sex is a gift from God meant for, like, the person you marry one day. <laughs> like, your body is a temple. So, my reaction was to go, well, the temple's already been bombed. Yeah. Like, let's just have a party. So, um, in order to sort of, like feel that like this violation was okay i then put myself in situations with strangers to just get some kind of feel something i you know after that point like i did not really know how many people i slept with in that period but it was a lot mm. and it was always just like very about almost their orgasm like yeah it was about two or three years of sex after that point before I had ever experienced oral sex
0: oh my god
1: yes so like of course like oral sex for the man was like yeah very par for the course. yeah but it was like you know I might be like fingered or something and then it's straight to sex
0: yeah
1: um my orgasm wasn't really about that experience for me either it was just about I think recreating what I felt I'd gone through but on my own terms Mm. So even though it felt like very, uh, like I was being used, my brain would process that as, well, I'm allowing this one to happen. So the first instance is okay. Yeah. And it was, you know, compounded that with substance abuse and it just made for really not healthy approach to sex.
0: How, when you were going through all of that, how did you feel? feel like about yourself like when it came to like your self-worth? Um
1: during that time I was also battling a really terrible eating disorder. Yeah. So my version of myself was, you know, nothing. The extreme self-hatred was uh when I think about it now, is like I can't believe I hated myself so much. Mm. Like for what? Surviving?
0: <laughs> yeah, for going through that and like mm getting through it or trying to
1: get through it I just would constantly blame myself because it was easier to blame me than to fathom that the people who were supposed to care about me most yeah didn't care about me that much at all
0: yeah would you say that you didn't understand what love was like yeah, I still
1: to this day don't really know what true love is yeah I believe
0: because love is, like, not just romantic, like, it's Absolutely. family, it's friends, it's...
1: Well, you you know me uh, as a person mm-hmm. outside of this recording, <laughs> and um, you can see that I'm very over the top with my, you mm. know, in my personal relationships, I like to connect with people, I like to make people laugh. I need to be liked by everyone I come into contact with because I had that complete neglect of validation and love as a child.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: So um, each and every day, it's all about getting that validation everywhere I can
0: mm-hmm. to make
1: me feel better. So even mm-hmm. though I'm like sipping ice to you, it's totally self-serving. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Um, When you went to like a therapist, like how did that make you feel any better or kind of make you be like more self-reflective or so? I
1: attribute my incredible uh, insight to being in therapy from the age of five. Um,
0: Because of your mum and then.
1: Correct. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's why it's very easy for me to open up to people. I can answer. Like I have to be very careful because if someone actually asks me a very direct question, Mm I I will immediately just go, oh, yeah, you know, this, that and the other and yeah. have to be mindful of that. There was a long period of time where I was not getting the, the kind of therapy I needed. Mm. So I was actually, whilst I was going there for betterment, it's kind of actually just being enabled because mm. I have a very complex um, mental illness. Like it's it's a personality disorder. It has a very bad rap. It's called borderline personality disorder.
0: Can you explain that to me, such us?
1: <laughs> yeah, so borderline personality disorder is described as being the borderline between psychosis... And neurosis. So I'm either like, you know, extremely uh, it's like polar opposites. There's like, mm. like black and white thinking and terrible ability to self like no ability to self soothe. intense emotions, terrible personal relationships like uh, they're really bad at manipulating but they are very manipulative mm-hmm. without treatment. So an example of that kind of behaviour is um, I would feel emotions so Intensely, so I would get suicidal like at the drop of a hat, and then I would look. To those around me To fix it Yeah Instead of trying To help myself Yeah And I would put These personal relationships Through absolute hell Demanding You know Like very high Expectations If I don't get The reaction I want I would lash out With anger And it's very It just makes you a, I'm not a very Good person But mm-hmm. <laughs> at, the, at the end of it Like um, I was very Thankfully hyper aware Of my myself And how how that affected me um, but for years I didn't get treatment and um, for years I was misdiagnosed and it was just a hospitalisation that gave me the correct diagnosis I've been on the same medication since which is like four years um, it led me to outpatient services where I was able to get the correct kind of therapy to teach me how to be a functioning adult wow yeah, yeah. so it was an intense year of therapy
0: yeah. And
1: it was a lot of, like, jumping through hoops because I was going through the public system because, um you know, I couldn't work while I was this this, this sick. Mm-hmm. And I tried to work in jobs and I never lasted. So it wasn't until I did this therapy and and then went, okay, I'm ready to work. Yeah. And then I started working where we work together and I've been here since.
0: Yeah, completely. So can you run me through, like, when you... F- finish school. Yeah. Like, when did you leave home?
1: Yeah. yeah. So, um, I was 20. Yeah. Um, I got an office job shortly after starting school, uh, finishing school, sorry. And uh, b- between that, I still kept my high school job, which was a KFC. Yeah. Um, It was just like a really small, like, admin sort of office. Like, I worked for a naturopath, a small family-owned business. Mm-hmm and I worked there for two years my boss was really abusive like I'd be called swear words like all day
0: (sighs) it's so amazing because I think that like a lot of times people don't realize how impactful words are words are like they just impact you so much and especially with my sort of personality I'm like super sensitive Um, overly sensitive at times (laughs) will literally start crying about anything (laughs) but (laughs) but like just I'm very cautious of the way that I speak to people and especially the way people speak to me because you know a lot of the times people may not think that something is a big deal or they may not really have like the intent to hurt you with the words but that's exactly what they can do and you never know what someone else might be going through.
1: Exactly. And I think that um, words can be used as weapons. Like there are like key phrases that were said to me as a child and I'm sure if I recalled it back to the adult who said it do you remember saying this they'd be like no no not event but you know it's burnt into my memory because it had such a traumatic impact on my self-identity and everything like that so definitely words have a lot of power and um you know i i when you said you know very careful about what you say i can totally i've seen you 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 think as you're talking you're always very deliberate with what you're saying like you're (laughs) like okay well this is how this conversation is gonna go and you know that's something I really enjoy about you oh thank you yeah that's okay like (laughs) not enough people realize that
0: Mm. words
1: can be used as weapons
0: yeah for sure um but what was it like kind of been on your own and I suppose well I guess it's not really like your family really supported you through your mental health but then I guess just not being in that sort of environment that you're used to and just being completely on your own where you are the only person who is in control
1: yeah so um, the sexual assault happened around that 20 uh, like like 18 and when moved back to my dad's and then from there I moved back to that household because uh, his partner's place because um the guy who both of them the guys who'd rape me weren't living there so i just lived there for a bit saved enough money to move out with friends yeah and at first it was extremely liberating but suddenly having so much control over my life in after having like no control mm. um exacerbated my um eating disorder And, um, I nearly died.
0: So when did your eating disorder begin?
1: Uh, definitely, like, as a child. Always binging. Um, Mm. I recall, like, every day after, like, picking me up from, like, kindergarten, there was McDonald's next door. So my dad would take me there for, like, an ice cream or, you know, like, games we would play. Like, we'd play cafe or, like... Yeah. It was very food-orientated. Yeah. And then when my dad was trying to raise two kids after my mom just died, mm. you know, like, it was much easier to just, like, give me some food and put me in front of the television, Mm-mm. keep me quiet. So, um, and I noticed, like, my dad also, like, has a very unhealthy approach to eating. Like, he won't eat and then will just binge.
0: Yeah.
1: So I kind of tended to, like, mimic that behavior. Mm. Um, if something bad would happen, I would eat. Yeah. If something good would happen, I would eat. It was just <laughs> a celebration with food. And then once I sort of hit puberty and wanting people to like me, I was hyper aware of how big I was. So, um, I attempted to try, like you know, I remember looking up like unhealthy things on like Anna Mia like boards and and teaching like, oh, I'll drink lots of water, and then yeah, whatever. So that sort of took hold around, like, 14. But it wasn't until um, I moved out of my dad's for a bit and lived with my aunt and uncle, lived Mm -hmm. the street over. They found out about the self-harm much later in the picture. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, let's try and help.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But their approach was, whilst they weren't, like, physically abusive, they were very, like, emotionally and manipulatively abusive. Mm -hmm. I remember they bought, like, tickets to a cruise for Christmas for us. And they called me aside and they're like, if you don't lose enough weight before the cruise, we're gonna give you a ticket away because we're embarrassed to be seen with you. Mm. So um, that sort of kick started me like over exercising and purging a lot. And I lost a bunch of weight went on the cruise and um,
0: <laughs> got on the cruise, made
1: it, <laughs> did it, saw <laughs> Manawatu. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, But, like, my mentality was like, well, fuck it, I'm on the cruise now, and just, like, stopped over-exercising, just stopped being the purging, just kept eating. So, oh, obviously, I put all that weight back on. <laughs> I'm like, cool, hit the weight limit, like, let's party. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. So, um, that didn't really resurface until um, mm. I was 18, and um again with that unhealthy uh attitude to food i ballooned in weight and i was starting to show like signs of insulin resistance what's insulin resistance it's like pre um type 2 diabetes oh wow yeah yeah so i like these plethora (coughs) of health issues i was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome i don't know what that is so uh PCOS is where you get cysts that grow on your ovaries. Ah, oh, okay, yeah. And that can impact fertility. Yeah. Um, obviously, hormones. I tend to have a higher level of testosterone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I get I uh, battle with like hair growth. Mm-hmm. So like I get like hair growth on like my chin. Um, Other people get different symptoms and stuff. One positive out of P.C.O.S. is my cycle is only three days long. So (laughs) I'm the envy of most women. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so um, this doctor was like, okay, well, we need you to lose weight. Yeah. So let's do this lap band surgery. And um, that's basically where they essentially put like a rubber band around his stomach Mm -hmm. that has like a a tube and then they put like a saline in it and it can tighten it like over time Mm -hmm. so it means like less food can go through and you feel fuller quicker yeah this was the um go-to weight loss surgery um now it's all about the sleeve Everyone's like doing the sleeve as opposed to the band, but
0: what's the sleeve? Like just putting like a Yeah,
1: exactly. Sleeve a sleeve. gastric sleeve over the thing. So Damn. Yeah, so that's the that's the new weight loss surgery. This is the weight <laughs> loss surgery ten years ago. <laughs> so in case you were wondering, like that that's what we did. <laughs> it just made it easier for me to purge,
0: essentially.
1: Yeah. And I believe Sharon Osborne has actually touched on this because she had a gastric bypass, mm-hmm. and um, which is completely different. That's where they, like, actually cut your stomach and, like, staple it. Oh, my it. God. Yeah, so definitely more of a permanent thing.
0: <coughs> yeah.
1: So that was a three years of constantly, like, mm. pinching and purging, and I got down to I'm, – I'm six foot tall. Um, yeah, tall gal. Um, I got down to 42 kilos. <gasps> Um, oh,
0: my God. My
1: organs started shutting down. Blair. I know. It, uh, I hadn't had my period in 18 months. <sighs> I'd stopped sweating months ago. I couldn't uh, regulate my You were body.
0: literally dying. Yep. Yeah. So, wait, how old were you there? 20? 21. 21, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did anyone notice around you? Oh,
1: yeah. Like, I lived with friends. And they were always worried about me and they were begging me to eat. And I couldn't. And it got towards the end where, like, I couldn't even drink water without throwing it up. And Because
0: you'd thrown up so many times that you just couldn't keep anything down. We'd
1: actually found out that the band had slipped down so much in my stomach. It was one eighth <gasps> the size that it needed to be.
0: Oh, holy shit. Oh, my God.
1: So I was oh. on death's door. So, um, oh my God. and a childhood friend mm. told my dad, "You need to see Blair because I, you know, after I moved out, like a belly, and I was working full time, I was partying, mm-hmm. um, I was having living my best life." And one of my best friends from high school, hey David, uh, <laughs> he uh, worked at the pub near my childhood home where my dad would frequent. Who yeah. has... Battled with um, alcoholism and gambling addiction, like, as far as I can remember. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was working there and just said, look, you need to see Blair. She's really sick. Like, she's going to die. Yeah. And without even seeing like me, my dad just trusting my friend, like, implicitly, like, already booked in with the doctor and then just said, look, we're going on this day. Mm. And I remember the look on his face when he picked me up. Like, it was very... Confronting for him, and um, you know, if I I like, since my family has like m- my grandmother who doesn't know the breadth of the situation will say like, "What happened, Blair? You used to be so thin. You know, you look so good then. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just really not helpful for me to hear at all. Yeah. But you know, I, I look back and I can see that I was extremely unhealthy. Like, you are meant to urinate multiple times a day not yeah. once a week
0: holy
1: shit yeah oh my god so um my treatment was just to fix the stomach issue which yeah. is like they went in and they, they put it back up they took all the liquid out and then me was just like oh i gotta stop start eating again enough to being in starvation for three years i just mm. ballooned and um, I'm just too afraid to go back and get it tightened. Yeah. Because, like, obviously, like, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big girl. And, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's like, oh, why do you just do that? And I'm just like, sorry, no. Um, and I decided to have, like, to try and be healthy mm-hmm. about my food choices recently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've lost two dress sizes with this mm-hmm. approach and just being mindful
0: yeah. of
1: eating good food but yeah, you can probably tell I'm a little bit sick still I got I fell sick recently and haven't been on that meal prep game as much as I usually am
0: but I think that's like the biggest thing when it comes to like healthy eating or it's not just healthy eating but it's a healthy lifestyle because mm. it's a lifestyle and so it means that it's not like you're going to be perfect every single day that that's not life exactly. but it's more what I've even found recently because I've always I've been like this year been like owing get back into health and fitness 2019 (laughs) (laughs) but I'm just like 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 if I you know indulge in something I'm like Cynthia it's alright like and I think that the biggest thing is just like being kind to yourself goes (laughs) such a long way compared to being like oh my god i can't believe i just ate this you have to run
1: 10k now yeah Yeah.
0: and that's when you kind of start to build really unhealthy like habits
1: well a really like the first lesson in that intensive therapy program i Mm. went through to get to this state of recovery i'm in now yeah i remember the first session we were talking about the importance of like fueling your body and that's the rule of three three square meals three times a day three snacks every three hours mm. and you know three liters of water mm. um and i remember like saying to my psychologist at the time like that's really offensive you're telling me to eat some food and drink some water to fix my depression
0: mm.
1: and she's like look just try it because uh, part of this therapy was like you know a daily mood tracker mm. basically oh, having wow. to
0: write that's intense
1: yeah and then having to write down exactly like did you do drugs today Mm. like were you angry what were you angry about and Mm. it was annoying (laughs) Mm. but I was able to see like when I had eaten you know my three square meals a day when I had drunk all my water my mood was much easier to Mm. manage Mm. and it kind of was this light bulb moment that if you can't have a healthy body yeah you can't have a healthy mind
0: that is so true yes 100
1: percent. so as much as you know like go do some yoga drink yeah. some water you'll be better with your depression feels like it's a really minimizing thing there is some truth to it mm-hmm. it's just how the message is delivered
0: yeah for sure um when did you start to have like
1: substance Or interact with, like, substance abuse. Totally. So, the first time I ever, um, took drugs, I was 11. 11. Yeah. (laughs) Just before this sexual assault.
0: Okay,
1: yeah. Um, it was the second eldest, so the one who raped me later.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, he gave me some marijuana. Okay, yeah. Um... So we used a bomb mm. in the bushes and, um, I felt like it didn't really affect me, but yeah. he said that, you know, I was affected. Yeah. Um.
0: Are you still in contact with him? No. <laughs> no. Yeah.
1: Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. That was um, I, I confronted him a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. Um. How old would he be now? Like 30?
1: Yeah. So he's actually, uh, has a partner um. and they actually going through IVF at the moment to have children. Mm. And, um, there's always, there's been this got to keep the partner away from Blair in case she ever tells her. Yeah. The last time I saw him was a couple of years ago. My, my brother got engaged and he had an engagement party mm. and he's like, look, I want you to be there. But, you know, at this stage they were still in his life Mm. and he's like oh they're my brothers and I want them there but I don't want you to cause any drama Mm. so um I went and I was there with my brother for my brother but I brought along my boyfriend at the time who Mm. was six foot six and very imposing so Mm. um I told him about the situation and he made a point of introducing himself to him and, like, giving him the uh, the manly sort of firm handshake. Like, yeah. oh, you're Morgan. Hey, I'm Blair's boyfriend. Yeah. And um, couldn't look us in the eye. And it was just very awkward. And, you know, I wasn't going to ruin my brother's engagement yeah. party for that. But it was, in, it was fun to watch him squirm.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll admit
1: that. But, um... I'm not interested in like ruining his life or like have taking. Have you forgiven that back. him? <sighs> no. Yeah. But I've let it go. Yeah. Because to forgive him I would have to be okay with him. I'm not okay with him. Um going
0: good. back to um the substance abuse. Substance so abuse. So when did it
1: start to become a An problem? Issue. Okay. I'd say the moment I graduated high school,
0: yeah, because
1: I was a pretty like like serious student,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, except halfway through year twelve, I kind of just gave up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So my marks didn't really reflect that pushed sort of pressure I put on myself for the last three years. It was almost like I kind of like ran out of juice, yeah. towards the end of that marathon. Um, but yeah, like. Friends I went to school with uh, this one girl. Her mother basically supplied us, and um, we just get high and laugh and eat food, and it was just like the best fun ever. Mm. And then you know, like my stepbrothers, they were all smoking, and they would sell to me, and it's just actually always been in my life ever since that point. Um, I went on like a year break Mm. um and this is just weed yeah at this stage yeah recently I went on a year break I've started smoking again to help with sleep Mm. but it's nowhere near to the point it was like I was like wake up get stoned like can't face the day until I uh, (laughs) feel high but then that graduated to like mdma um speed um meth (laughs) um basically everything except i haven't done heroin yeah and um if i didn't have the money for these things um that's when i would like swap sexual favors to get my fix Mm.
0: because
1: it's much easier
0: what were you escaping trauma yeah
1: yeah all right The the abuse, the neglect, um, after my eating disorder kind of, like, leveled out, Hmm. I lost my job, and, um...
0: Oh, how'd you lose your job?
1: Um, I lost my job because I was raped in my home. Yeah. Um, like, it, it started out as a consensual encounter, and then, um... Oh, so is
0: this in your twenties? Yeah. Again.
1: Yeah. So I've actually been raped about ten times by ten different people by putting myself in situations with strangers Mm -hmm. or like people who I knew wouldn't didn't care about me, Mm -hmm. Um, and if they didn't, if they wanted to do something and I didn't. They just do it. Yeah. So um, that's sort of what happened um, in that situation. It ended up starting out being a consensual encounter. Um, he wanted to uh, have anal sex. And I said no because he was, not to be graphic, but like 11 inches long. Mm-hmm. And um, he just made me do it. And um, I didn't speak for, like, two days because it happened, like, a Friday night. And then come Monday, like, I just went to work. And someone asked me, oh, how was your weekend? And I just broke down. And then, you know, my manager was like, what's wrong? And it just, like, came out of me. They, like, put me in touch with their, like, um, employee-provided, like,
0: mm-hmm. like psych. Yeah.
1: And then they, like, take some time off, you know. just And I, I took a week off. And I was like, okay, cool. I need to get back to work now because I don't want to be in this house where it happened. Yeah. And they're like, oh, look, um, we need to speak to your doctor first. Can you sign this paperwork so our doctors can speak to your doctor? Mm. So I did. And then um, my GP said to me, oh, they're saying that um, you're affecting other staff members uh, negatively. But I've told them to basically fuck off because depression isn't contagious. God. So, um, after two weeks, I came back to work. And then it was three months of just, like, micromanaging, just trying yeah. to get me to leave. And they just didn't take into account my sickable sense of, like, oh, y- you want me to do – you want me to fail? Okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to come in an hour early I'm going to stay an hour late.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: I was on a salary, so I wasn't getting paid for that two extra hours a mm. day. But it's just like, oh, you want to fuck me over? Okay, well, I'll, I'll swear <laughs> up. Like, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then it was like a friendship I had with a temp, a temporary um, person who we had there. And it was a really, like, terrible work environment. So we had this... Long-running joke of, like, oh, isn't it shit? The day is shit. And she actually started the joke of, like, pointing, like, making your hand into a gun, mm. pointing it at your temple, and then pretending to, like, blow your brains out. Yeah. Yeah. So we would do that at each other. mm And then I got called into, like, management's office, and they're, like, so... It's come to our attention that you've threatened to kill yourself and everyone in the building. (laughs) What? And then motion towards, like, the self-harm scars on Mm. my body, saying that's clear evidence that you want to kill yourself.
0: Oh, oh my God. So
1: we're sending you home. Mm. Look, what's wrong with that picture? Mm. You're suicidal, so Mm. go home and fucking do it. Like, <laughs> it didn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah. But um,
1: I got into contact with, because I had recently joined a union mm-hmm. because of how things were going down at work. Yeah. Unfortunately, the union uh, wouldn't help me as they cited it as, as a pre-existing issue.
0: Okay.
1: And so I got in contact with an organization, a non-profit organization called Working Women's Association Queensland Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so whilst I was going through this back and forth between these like corporate lawyers this corporate HR team like and just like little old me with a certificate three in business admin Mm. they're helping me draft my responses to these like legal documents Mm. saying like you know you're basically a liability and Mm. Um, I was made to basically sign this confidentiality agreement to not disclose this company's name mm. to the media mm. and pay $10,000 and to go away. Mm. This company <coughs> is, um, you know, they have stocks. They're, like, a huge game player, like... I see and hear about this company every single day.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I'm not allowed to tell anyone about it. I do. But I'm not going to name it on here because I could get sued. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we don't want that. No. Daily viewers don't want that. <laughs> oh, my God. So- that is just so interesting. What do you think people's like people who have indirectly experienced mental health like issues or so how do you think that they view that right now
1: so do you mean in the sense of someone who doesn't necessarily have mental health mm-hmm. issues themselves and then just hearing the situation yeah um i think that they would be really shocked um yeah. especially these days like our attitude towards mental health has completely yeah. changed. Yeah. And you know, 10 years this happened in like not even 10 years ago. So, it's mm. still we've come a long way in a very short time. Um
0: yeah, there's more of a platform for people to like talk about it. I remember a while back I was talking to this girl and she was telling me like she went through depression or I can't exactly remember what she went through but it was something of that nature yeah um and I was like to her wow I feel as though so many people within like like our age bracket like millennials or whatnot are like going through some sort of like mental health issue and even like close friends of mine have like experienced it that I'm I was like wondering if it's as a result of, like, our environment and, like, you know, the internet and just all this, like, stuff that's happening and how fast-paced and all the different pressures that's put onto us where it might be, like, you know, being really competitive and succeeding in life or family expectations and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was kind of my idea of why it may seem like so many people going through mental health issues and then she said I really think that's the case I think it's more that now that people are openly talking about it because you know back in the days people did go through that but they didn't really have like a platform or it was kind of like looked down upon to talk about yeah and I'd never really like thought of it in that way
1: yeah that's that's my that's my opinion is that our attitude has changed not so much that more people have it, is that we're more aware of how our brains work. Mm. We're more aware that these issues don't just go away. We have to work through them, and um, I think by you know initiatives like Are You Okay Day, Beyond Blue, Lifeline, and uh, talking about these like mm. issues, like you know, male suicide in Australia is yeah crazy, and like there are still men who really struggle to even talk about anything yeah and i think by you know opening up platforms and talking about it in the media like addressing these things Mm destigmatizes and and we all as a society are just going to go get better and better and better if we talk about these issues we acknowledge that treatment is needed and um betterment of self is, like, that's what life's Such about. Such a big
0: thing right now. Everyone's, like, yeah. wanting to better their self and, and how they rely on other people and, like, just, you know, being self-sufficient, I guess. I mean, like,
1: self-care is a thing now that everyone talks about and that's oh, an important part But of what is therapy.
0: even self-care?
1: Like, okay, so self-care is different for everyone. Yeah. Um, And... I guess the best way for me to explain the importance of self-care and mental health is to refer back to the spoon theory where um, someone with an invisible illness, so like a, a mental illness or like a physical disability um, or anything like that, they talk about your energy for the day being measured in spoons. So, like, it all started because this, this person, these people were having a conversation in a cafe and she was trying to understand how her friend couldn't do everything that a normal person, in inverted normal, mm. um, could do. She's like, well, okay, well, if these teaspoons represent energy and I've got 10 for the day, and a functioning person, an able-bodied person it might take one spoon of energy to have a shower, get dressed, brush your teeth and go, go out the door. For someone with, like, an impairment, that might take two or three spoons of energy. Yeah. So by using self-care, you can recharge your spoon supply. That's how it works for me. So mm. my acts of self-care usually include... Popping something really trashy television-wise on. Mm. Lighting a scented candle. Sitting with my cats and just, like, being in that moment. Yeah. Mindfulness is a huge part of my mental health. So I will use um, activities such as, like, colouring in, Mm. meditation, and um, even... I've actually just started doing this is uh, using uh, I can't remember what it's called but it's on my phone I play like it's almost like brainwashing it's like these positive affirmations as I go to sleep it's like you're great you've got like heaps of energy tomorrow's gonna be really good you're gonna clean your house oh my
0: god that's hilarious
1: I wake up and I'm like hell yeah bitch we're gonna get this bread
0: like Oh my god that's hilarious yeah I think affirmations are also really good I've I've tried doing it before but then just like stopped or something like that or then sometimes I'm like I should like write down some affirmations and I'll be like yep I'll do that and then so
1: have a look at the name of my app because yeah should we
0: give people this app in case yeah because
1: like I I've got a few of them so um Mm -hmm. the name of it is called Empowered hypnosis wellness centers and I've got ones on my phone that relate to confidence, success, anxiety, and weight loss. Mm. So they're all different apps, and depending on like what I want to focus on for the next day Mm. will depend on um what I listen to. So mainly I'm focusing on confidence and success because I really want to embody success and confidence is something I still struggle with today that
0: is so interesting because like when I initially met you sort of thing yeah and like even now that you you seem so like confident to me
1: oh yeah yeah
0: and just like I don't know like because you're I'm not going to lie. Blair's loud. Right now, you've been, like, tamed, Blair. Like. Oh,
1: I'm trying. I'm so aware of <laughs> microphone right now. And, like, like trying like,
0: not to be, like,
1: worry. Like, because we're at work. I'd already, like, mentioned several people near us right now. Like, okay, if I get too loud, like, yeah. make big, like, make motion. So, I don't be too loud because... Yeah. Uh, uh everyone can hear me in the office like it is just a running joke you hear me before you see me and you can't (laughs) fucking miss me because i'm huge like i i'm i'm just aware that that is a very sensitive microphone
0: (laughs) yeah but like i i was just you know saw you as this person it was just very like grounded in herself in terms of like yeah I'm loud yeah I might ruffle a bit of like a feathers sort of thing so but then I always hear this thing where it's kind of like fake it until you make
1: it that is exactly what I was going to say to you when you said like I thought you were a very confident person I'm definitely confident in that this is who I am and I can't really change that. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, I'm insecure in, like, my appearance Mm -hmm. and my level of attraction Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, like, do other people find me attractive? Mm -hmm. Do people, like, want to be with me as a person? Mm -hmm. So I feel like because I have this... Uh, self-imposed handicap in regards to how i am seen by other people i feel like i have to go over the top with like my personality i have to be likable i have to be funny i have to be engaging yeah and that influences that Mm. but um yeah like right now i've got my period like i'm wearing i've
0: got my period (laughs) you probably made me get my period oh my god (laughs)
1: like Our office is like 90% female. So uh, like an- our our coworker, Indy, she just finished hers, so oh I'm my sure God. we're all
0: just sick. oh insane. Um wait, was I was gonna say something about confidence. Oh no, something about like um beauty standards because beauty totally. is such a weird thing, and even now I feel as so. though I'm definitely very like, I'm not, like, super-duper into, like, social media, but I am very into social media because of, like, what I want to get into when it comes to, like, And acting. you're, like, a model. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, like, but I, you know, you <laughs> see so many people on social media nowadays who try to give off this impression of this... Perfect everything, this perfect image is
1: perfect Wealth of perfection, of success, yeah, yeah, like
0: perfect body, perfect boyfriend, perfect holiday. I'm just sitting here being like, um, just paid $15 to catch the train in one day. Are you serious? It's so expensive. Adult fares that's reality um
1: yeah you're like i just um, had vegemite on toast i'm eating two minute noodles for the next fortnight trying to save those
0: bugs but i think beauty standards have become such a huge thing like impact on our mental health
1: particularly with the advent of instagram mm. like instagram um is a huge motivator behind this like perceived perfect perfect life. Yeah. Um it's all about the photo, the angle, the filter. Um I'm going to get this so I can take a photo of it and put it on my Instagram.
0: <laughs> Low key me going to the sunflower fields just so I could get a
1: picture. <laughs> is it is this now where I admit that I've seen so many people do that that now I need to do it? Like I It's uh It's a thing. It's a lot of flies though. I saw that. (laughs) That's that's the only thing. That's why you go for the picture and not the video, Cynthia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, like, beauty is just such a big thing. And even, I suppose, before, like, social media, the way that... I hate how much emphasis we put onto, like... Beauty. Beauty and, like, someone being attractive or someone... Absolutely. Compared to, like... It's just so interesting to me that sometimes I meet people and like, you know, from first off, I'll be like, oh, I really love how that person dresses. Like they seem really like cool and whatnot. And then I will get to know them and just realize they have like an ugly personality. And then I'll be like, and like just then my whole perspective of that person just completely changes. And I think that one of the things for our generation or just people in general, to just feel better about themselves is to stop imposing or putting so much, like, pressure and emphasis on, like, beauty standards and looking at the stuff that actually, like, matters, like, you know... who that person is how they treat other people do they say please and thank you I hate it when people don't (laughs) say
1: oh I'm really anal about that too like I tend to like if someone doesn't say please I'll just go yeah thank you like in response like this whole passive aggression like how dare you um mentality no um I totally understand what you're saying I completely agree and um I would say that, you know, as a woman who isn't considered to be conventionally attractive, you know, I'm tall, but I'm fat.
0: I want to be tall.
1: Yeah, you are, you, but you are are quite tall.
0: I'm Uh, not really. I'm like 5'7". Really? Yeah. Okay. And you just
1: look tall because you've got really, like, long legs and long arms like you and you hold you've got perfect posture do so I you, well you've got better than mine I'm like this hunchback of not done. because
0: you're always like oh I'm so tall I want to like shrink yes. whereas if I was tall, I'd be like
1: bitch I'm here to get the cereal <laughs> yes. from the top fucking shelf yes
0: that would be me <laughs> own it
1: yeah well I guess like my experience beauty standards is so different Mm. to that of yours like I'm yes I'm tall and I'm fat um, but you know I've got tattoos so that's Mm. something that I could control about my appearance that I enjoy Um, you are in my opinion very conventionally attractive you know you've got perfect skin you've got like beautiful features However, your experience is going to be different to mine because we live in Australia and Australians are racist. So the colour of your skin, I'm guessing, has come up from pieces of shit.
0: Well, I think that when I was younger that I didn't quite see myself beautiful because i had nothing this
1: white standard of like yeah
0: nothing to compare it to yeah and it's
1: really interesting to go into that um level of beauty standards associated with colorism Mm. and it exists in every society like you know like in chinese culture like they they value pale skin more because if you have darker skin you know it's Mm. associated with like Like working in the fields so, like, it's so
0: funny when you, like, break it down and realise how dumb humans can be. Yes. And you're like, mm, not so smart. <laughs> it's
1: like, I, I, my dad describes it as uh, I have English rose skin. Mm. My, my brother, my blood brother has uh, olive skin. And we stand side by side and we mm. don't, like, oh, the similarities are very minimal, like, yeah. in the hair. And that's it. Like, Mm. he has brown eyes. I have blue eyes. Yeah. And it's because my grandfather is Spanish.
0: Oh.
1: So he's got this beautiful skin where I'm just, like, this white-pink blob that just, like, burns and then goes back to white.
0: (laughs) But I think now what I suppose the media is trying to do is like celebrate all sorts of like body types and skin types summer and whatnot but then with that that I feel so some of the brands are being genuine and yeah, then with some just of jumping them on the, the it's just wagon. jumping on the wagon and then I kind of just get scared that like you know when that phase is over where do we go back to because in the like the only reason you would be like in terms of me like i am comfortable with how i look now Mm. um like being older and whatnot but the only reason someone would be like oh cynthia you're like really good looking or whatnot is because the media has told them that like the features that i have are like what is desirable sort of thing compared to like if you know we always saw in the media you know women who were like bigger and the word fat was in like such like like a negative connotation it was just like oh it's just a different body type like this person's skinny this person's fat this person's in the middle sort of thing that it wouldn't be so much negative connotation and then attaching that to your self worth because in the end it's just kind of like our brains just taking all these things and Because it's, I don't know, it's, like, am I beautiful or is it just because what the media has told
1: you? No, yeah, I totally understand that. And as someone who, like, is constantly, like, reflecting and um, looking at how I view things and holding myself accountable in that sense, um, I can definitely say that, you know, in an earlier part of my life, I had a very, like, negative um, impression Mm -hmm. of people of color because Mm. of the racist family I was raised in and that was like a conscious effort of working through that prejudice Mm -hmm. that was uh passed on to me that not that I didn't necessarily agree with Mm. and I think like going back to you know brands paying lip service to this movement I think it's really evident in their advertising and their approach so like I'm very like passionate about makeup and skincare and and beauty and i think like you know if you look at a shade range of like a foundation or like a concealer sort of branding has i think that speaks a lot of how they view their customers so if they Mm -hmm. have like three darker shades yeah (laughs) fuck off (laughs) no and then like eight that are different shades of fucking beige like yeah there's just far too many skin mm. colors like that you know and we yeah there's a lot of different shades of white but there needs to be different shades of brown too yeah and you know uh, a beauty pure that I love to watch is Jackie Einer and she's very vocal about brands who are inclusive of women of color and 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 their skin type more uh, apart from like oh just dry white skin being the norm Mm,
0: yeah why do you think that your family potentially had like negative views of people of color was it just because like they hadn't really like interacted with like different people who weren't like predominantly like
1: caucasian Um, yeah i think it's like a learned thing like Like, my grandmother is extremely racist towards Asian people because she grew up during uh, World War II.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Now, I'm not saying that excuses the behavior, but it does explain it.
0: It explains it. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: My father uh, has come a long way. Like, I lived with him for two months last year while I was just finding a different rental. And, Mm. um, you know, he was telling me he worked in the mines and, like, the Kimberleys and stuff like a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. and he just made this comment he's like oh you know the racial slur for indigenous Australians they just waste their money on on piss they just get drunk and Mm. then I turned around to him and I said so what did you do with your money then (laughs) and he said oh (coughs) much the same and you know I I sort of went well what's the difference Mm. And I think that got him, like, thinking. Yeah. Because I don't think he'd ever actually stopped and thought about that prejudice. Mm. So, um, and then every time he'd use, like, a racial slur, I'd just be like, don't talk like that to me. Like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. They are Native, like, they are our First Nations people. And, um, you know... It's just very fitting that we're actually uh, recording this on Invasion Day to have (laughs) actually this discussion. um, One of our co-workers actually donated today's wages to uh, First Nations. Uh,
0: Really? Yes.
1: We have so many people here. Just
0: quickly, I feel as though I keep, like,
1: no, no, no. Yeah, um, we, are, we getting have drifted off. way off topic.
0: <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I keep wanting to ask you yeah. about, like, substance like Yes, abuse, drugs. Because I think that's such, like, an easy avenue for people, Absolutely. like, when
1: you're going through stuff, to... Self-medicate.
0: Yeah, and rely on that and kind of, like, your experience.
1: Yeah, so um, it took a long time for me to sort of realise that... The Band-Aid that that I'd make drugs into, for me, were making me worse. So um, when you're trying to self-medicate a chemical imbalance with more chemicals, you're just going to end up with something that's way more out of balance. You know, um, so the heavier drugs for me, like meth, was a huge issue. Um, That I was, I always kind of like had most of my drugs like under control. Um, I'd always go a little bit too far, realize, and then kind of pull back. So when I turned 18, I got really into um, MDMA. And for a couple of months there, I was buying, you know, a 10 pack of Fortnite and like i would make like one pill last four days by like cutting it up into four and then instead of like eating it or snorting it i was actually injecting it um
0: like getting like an actual
1: like a needle like crushing it up
0: oh my god and like
1: dissolving that into water and then injecting it into my bloodstream
0: damn
1: yeah, so um, I did that for three months.
0: Is it weird now when you think back to that period in your life? Extremely. Does it?
1: <laughs> I feel like a different person. Like, yeah, does I, it th- I feel like someone took over for a couple of years. Mm. That wasn't me.
0: When you look at, like, your past self and you're like... At that point, my mindset about the world was completely different. The way that I treated people, the way that I understood stuff.
1: Absolutely. The
0: way I reacted to things. Anyways, continue.
1: Yeah. So, um, but meth was the one that, that evolved really quickly. You know, it was, it went from, I ate it, um, like the first time I used was with like my first serious boyfriend who was, um... Mm -hmm. Previously, an addict, and he was like, Look, I'm injecting. I don't want you to see it. I don't want you to be around it. I never want you to inject this shit. So, when he broke up with me, my natural, normal brain was like, well, Fuck him. I'm going to get back at him. And just like found a partner who found a partner, found someone, some strand, random stranger who would inject me with this drug to say fuck you to this guy yeah and that's how mentally ill
0: you were yeah yeah because
1: that was my mm. knee-jerk reaction um and basically ever since then it was just if i wanted it i knew what i had to do to get it because it's everywhere it is everywhere mm. and it's easier to get than pot these days
0: that's so interesting because, like, someone like me, like, I I suppose with my close friends, like, none of them really do, like, drugs or so. Mm-hmm. So that concept to me sounds so strange and especially with, like, my upbringing that my aunt would just, like like we watch all these like documentaries about like um people taking drugs and whatnot and then they ended up dying (laughs) so (laughs) that was don't um, have
1: sex because you will get pregnant and die (laughs) yeah
0: that's like how i correlate sort of (laughs) drugs and like drugs You die. (laughs) I mean,
1: yeah, like, I guess that was also a part of it for me too Mm. because I also was raised with that mentality within my schooling and I had such low disregard for myself and my life that I was just like, well, fuck it. I don't care. I want to die anyway. Mm. Um, You know, so I'd just be constantly putting myself in these scenarios where I could have died but didn't. Mm. you know, I, I've never done heroin. Mm. I've managed to stay away from that. Mm. Just because there's something so permanent about being, like, dependent on it. Mm. That I I just was always like, don't just stay away from that. You, you've you got such an addictive personality that yeah. you'll probably, like, kill yourself within a couple of weeks. Because deep down in my core, like, I know I don't want to die. die. There is that natural instinct to survive. And Mm. I know I want to survive because I spent two years with a man who used to beat the living shit out of me. And, you know, if I wanted to die, all I had to do was just stay. Mm. But I left. And, you know, I lost everything and I built up, built everything that I have now from that. Mm. And, and, you know, that's how I know, like, okay, well, I do want to be here. Yeah. If life is worth living.
0: I am worthy enough to live. It'd that sounds happy. really weird. But actually, yeah, and it's like I'm worthy enough to, like, deserve happiness. Yeah. like, And that sounds like a weird sort of concept because, you. Know, but sometimes I feel as though you get into this headspace where you're like, I don't deserve to be happy or like, I don't like, I'm not worth while or whatnot, but to be able to get out of that sort of situation and just rewire your brain literally. And be like, I am good enough. I do deserve someone who can genuinely love me for who I am and will show me by doing positive things.
1: And that's something we've talked about at work as well. It's mm. like this whole attitude towards dating these days oh, It's yeah. instant gratification <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: without any sort of thought, effort.
0: Yeah. It's
1: just like I am so different in that I can't fathom having sex with a stranger.
0: Is it weird when you think that, even though I already said this, to when... Like that eighteen to twenty-year-old yeah. stage where
1: you were just kind of like, that you just. Oh look, a passing dick. Let's jump on. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it and when you were saying like rewiring your brain, that's mm. exactly what I did, and mm. I. It just feels like uh, a different person had control for a, a period of time, and I've got the control back. Like and. It feels like I, like me, in essence, I haven't been at the wheel since I was at least 10 years old. Mm. So to come back into this this body now at the age of 27, 28, mm. is very weird. Mm. And it still is. And I don't think it'll ever go away. Mm. But um, acknowledging that for that period, from the age of 10 to about 26, 27, that i was very ill yeah and you know that's something that is very hard like in a job interview it was like so you were unemployed for six years what what did you do in that time yeah i you know tend to lie you know i tend mm-hmm. to say oh i traveled or you know i mm-hmm. did this that or the other i'm like okay well why isn't that on your resume
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: like i just off the cuff um, sometimes if, in the, if the interview is going a certain way, I'll just go, look, I was really sick. Mm. But I'm better now. Yeah. And that usually has one or two reactions, mm. which is, okay, no worries, leave it at that, move on with the interview. Or, oh, mm-hmm.
0: and And they,
1: they can't ask me what I was sick with. Yeah. But... I feel like, because um, I've been in this job nearly a year.
0: Mm, that's um, crazy. I know. Time literally has gone by like that.
1: I know. So, oh, my gosh, So crazy. Um, I really am glad to have been given the opportunity of where we are now uh, mm. to prove that I am able to maintain employment because yeah. that's been a big part of my recovery is not And your
0: confidence. Up-
1: yeah recovery and confidence uh yeah I'm not sitting in my room all day every day like looking at four walls I have money to you know uh have an internet connection which I know sounds like very like oh as if you wouldn't have internet but mm. you know I live alone so when I was unemployed it was I can pay the rent I can pay the bills I can buy food but I can't mm. pay for this so was a huge motivation. Like, I oh, could I get a job too so I can get internet, so I can study and improve myself and end up with a career instead of just mm-hmm. a job. And uh, I think for me, like, was realizing and sitting out, okay, what do I want for my life? And my ultimate goal in my retirement years is to have an animal rescue. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm working towards. Yeah. And that's what gets me up in the morning.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, I remember a while back I was reading this blog. Um. Actually, killing sweet thing. I totally would recommend. I'm pretty sure I sent Blair you like have, some stuff,
1: and I think that's when we really sort of connected on deeper, oh, ah, yeah. deeper friendship level than just yeah. a, hey, hey. acquaintance <laughs> level. Just that together. <laughs> hey,
0: <laughs> how was your weekend? It was good, great, awesome.
1: <laughs> yes, you. Uh, you just said to me like, "Hey, um, there's this blog, and I, I think you really like it," and mm. I'm like yeah okay Cynthia I don't really know you mm-hmm. and then I read it and I was like holy shit
0: yeah the girl's right
1: <laughs> this is me Because I'd seen you read it before then as well. Yeah. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Mm. And I'm like, what's she reading? I
0: know. It's so funny. Um, But on that, um, I think it was a girl, Eileen, and she was interviewing someone, this artist in New York or so. And she basically asked her, actually it was on Heartbreak, um, and she was like, how do you get through Heartbreak? And kind of even with heartbreak or just mental health or just anything that's like emotional or whatnot.
1: Like an emotional traumatic event.
0: Yeah. And she said finding a passion that you call your own, that it doesn't matter what happens with someone else, that that thing can never be taken away from you. Like this, like the blog, which should be up by the time that you're listening to this and this podcast. And that for me has been like a really big thing especially with like my confidence which I definitely like struggle with a lot is like having this like outlet and kind of like a purpose because at the end of the day we're like regardless of what you believe in I I guess everyone is on this earth for different reasons, Mm. but we're all kind of just occupying ourselves until we die, as morbid as that sounds. No,
1: totally. And (laughs) that was a big realisation for me being sick is that I wasn't living my life. Mm. I was existing.
0: Yeah. And I
1: needed to find reasons to start living my life. Mm. That was a big part of, like, overcoming that. And, you know, uh, whilst I was sick, I didn't have a lot of, like, emotional intelligence or capacity to care about the people around me. Mm. So uh, I've noticed (laughs) that now that I'm more balanced, I do care about those around me. Like, Mm. we had a co-worker the other day who just seemed really off. And I was just like, hey, are you okay?
0: Mm.
1: And she's like, oh, yeah, thanks for asking. Like, I'm just going through some stuff. And, yeah. you know, it takes a second.
0: Yeah. But, you know, a
1: couple of years ago, I wouldn't have even been able to have seen that emotional change in someone yeah. because I was so Self-absorbed. caught up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Self-absorbed.
0: Which is a really big thing as well. And I'm trying to be a bit more aware of it because I'm, like, the people who know me and, and that I'm, like, friends with, I'm very, like, open Um, for sure and like find it very easy to talk about like stuff that's happening with me and whatnot. but I think you can get so easily caught up talking about yourself or talking about you know what's happening with you or your perspective to take a step back and just ask someone how they're doing and I definitely get caught up with that like and sometimes like my family or like my aunt will have to like pull me up on it and I'll be like oh, my gosh, like, Cynthia, don't don't be so self-absorbed.
1: Um, also, though, like, that's how we can relate to other people. Yeah. I know that um, in counselling, like, in order to, like, appear, like, less of a threat, a tactic that they'll use is mirroring. So, like, I'll just end up copying what you do. And that, you know, like, a very dumbed down sense is like our monkey brain going oh they're just like me not a threat so um in a sense like i know i can catch myself like listening to someone's story and Mm. then going yeah i can relate to you because this happened and it's kind of like this Mm. and you know, from a different perspective, it might look being like, okay, well, I'm done talking about you. Let's talk about me. But mm. my monkey brain's just trying to like do the same dance you're doing.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think even with having these podcasts, like my biggest thing is I wanted people to feel like they're not alone because mm. I feel as so, though, in a way, we all go through the same thing but different degrees of the same thing absolutely and you know, and i feel so everyone in this world has some sort of knowledge or you know advice to kind of like pass on and just getting like the opportunity to talk to people about like you know different things that have like affected their life and made them into the person that they are i find um very interesting. <laughs> this isn't a press release like, <laughs> a, a book side.
1: <laughs> yeah that could be like your little uh, little blog for the podcast like just edit that part out and just have that as your ad but that was I think a very a, a state. like we were talking about like that subject about mm-hmm. you know life shaping who we are as people yeah and you know I think that's when you realized you wanted be on your podcast was when we started having that conversation oh, yeah yeah. and then you were like you know seems like you you've had a really interesting life yeah. and then I turned to you and just said oh yeah it's full of trauma like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and you said it like so casually and I was just like oh my god <laughs> but I guess through like therapy and whatnot you've been I guess I
1: don't know. It's also a coping mechanism yeah. to minimize those situations.
0: Yeah.
1: And using humor is how I cope with things. Mm. Like a huge thing about like doing things that bring you joy and like getting back to following those passions like you with your blog and your podcast. I'm making myself do stand-up comedy this year. Yes,
0: yeah, so exciting. Um.
1: Yeah, it's been a dream of mine since I was little as I can remember, like, watching, like... Oh,
0: my God, you should totally tell me when it's on and I can put it on my, like, Instagram because I'm going to do, like, mini features on, like, people who I interview or whatnot. And I'll be like, back in blah, blah, blah. I remember talking to Blair. She's doing her (laughs) comedy if anyone wants to go watch in Brisbane.
1: I've actually had such a positive feedback Mm. from so many different people. And most of them are just people that I have on Facebook, from work or mm. from other a- out avenues of my life. Yeah. And then going, hey, like, I'd love to come along and support you.
0: Yeah. And... Which is, like, such a big thing because I think that, you know, money is great and presents are great, but someone's time is so valuable. Like... Absolutely. Priceless. Oh, totally. But I guess wrapping up... Yeah. Um, kind of talked about everything.
1: I know. What would you
0: say the best way is to deal with a mental health sort of like I don't know what to classify as or like a mental health problem or mental health or if you're just going through you know anything like depression or anxiety Um, how to even approach that as that person
1: as someone
0: as someone going through
1: it yeah yeah So, um, I obviously think the first step is talking about it, like reaching out, but, um, you know, I'm currently going through a situation with a mutual friend who has the same condition I have, Mm. but she's in a different part of her journey where she's not ready for help and she's putting all that emotional baggage on everyone around her and expecting them to fix it and Mm. reacting with anger when it doesn't work out. Um, For my own mental health, I sort of had to say, look, like, you need to get help. This is your journey.
0: Mm.
1: So when I say talking about these things and reaching out, sometimes the best course of action is to speak to someone with the professional emotional um, experience to not then go and take on this I don't want to use the word burden Mm -hmm. but if someone doesn't have the skills to deal with these kinds of really like emotional and um, overwhelming things that you, you can negatively impact people that you necessarily like do not want to do that too Mm. so my advice is to um definitely reach out like lifeline and beyond blue have like not only phone counseling they also have online chat features so if you don't want to talk to someone physically you can literally message them like you're messaging a friend on facebook Mm. and they do have connections to services so for me my journey began when I was admitted to a psychiatric hospital.
0: Who admitted you?
1: Um it was actually like a lifeline like they called the ambulance.
0: Oh wow. Yeah Yeah,
1: so like so like
0: you called them like
1: broken
0: down sort of thing.
1: Well I said to a friend like I'm gonna this is the end. Mm -hmm. And she basically said, like, look, I can't help you right now, but I really need you to call these people. Mm. I need you to talk to someone. And I was talking to them in the chat room thing, and then they were like, look, you're clearly in danger. I really need to speak to you on the phone. And then that's when I was taken to hospital, Mm. and the correct diagnosis began and correct medication began, and that was the beginning. So whilst I say, yeah, reach out and use your support network, if you do have a serious mental health mm-hmm. um, concern, professionals do need to help you because not everyone is equipped to handle mm-hmm. that severe of I don't want to use the word threat, but some if some like my condition is very much, about seeking validation and attention through learned behaviours and a particular friend of mine has learnt that saying like making plans to self-harm and hurt herself has garnered the attention and the reaction that she wants so whilst at her core she is not a bad person like I, I love her and I care about her It's her coping mechanisms and how she deals with things that are broken.
0: Yeah, totally. I find it... <clears throat> Sorry, my
1: voice got super
0: croaky. <laughs> um, I find it very interesting you um, talking about how, you know, it's really great to be able to talk about it and whatnot, but sometimes the people who you're talking to may not be able to handle that sort of, like, emotional side to it. And I had one of my really good friends and I had this conversation and I think at the time like i was going through stuff other people that she knew were going through stuff and we were all going to this one person sort of for support and as a person she's like you know very emotional and very um deeply like connected to her friends and wants like the absolute best um for them but she found that although she really wanted to help all of us and be there she kind of had to take herself out of the situation because it was starting to affect her and making her sad because although like i wasn't going to her all these people weren't going to her to make her sad and and was more so oh this is what's happening and this is really horrible that she was just like what i can't believe this is happening and blah 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 and was taking on all of my emotional stress when i was like whoa dude
1: yeah and um I think that's something that we forget to address about with initiatives like Are You Okay Day Mm. and talking about mental health and talking about reaching out. Um, It is a really important thing that I need to keep in the back of my mind. Like, whilst I'm being there for people is that, you know, if a plane's going down, they say you need to pop your own oxygen mask on first before you put on any children or, like... People who need assistance. Mm-hmm. You can't help people if you aren't in a place to help people. And that's like coming back to self care and recharging oneself and making sure that you are in an emotional state where you are ready to handle these things before overextending yourself.
0: Yeah, for sure. But I even think sometimes of our generation, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to, like, self-care, people can be a bit, like, BS about it.
1: And oh, absolutely.
0: Like, oh, my God, self-care. Like, I took a bath or I did this or I did that. But I think the biggest thing, like you said, that self-care is really just specialized. Like, I, I found that lately... For me, exercising is like a really big thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes for me, self care is a big salad. Yeah, um, you go with your salad, you <laughs> know, like just craving vegetables mm. or just like eat, like making a really nice meal for yourself.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, that is actually really good at thing i can't remember who i was speaking to like one of my friends i thought i make myself sound so, so like popular like million friends. <laughs> so <make> me- <laughs> <laughs> and i can't even remember what we're talking about exactly i don't know or like making ourselves lunch or like just making your bed you know that's well, like, how the
1: mindfulness mm, um, activity is um, being present in the moment so making a meal was something that I would do a lot during my really hard times to get my mind off self harming or um, a terrible sort of mindset to be in I'm like okay well I'm going to go do something that requires all of my brain mm-hmm. and um, going back to like being present and making the bed I that that was in like a, an army guy sort of approach thing wasn't it it was like you know, if you make your bed at the start of the day, you can start with like a really good day. And my an aspect of mine is getting my flat clean mm-hmm. makes me feel better.
0: <laughs> that's like my best friend. Yeah, <laughs> she's like needs the house spotless all the time, and that's like her cleaning is like her therapy. I could think of nothing less or worse. I just say like I do really love a clean space, but I'm just not like the sort of gal to be like.
1: You know, vacuum and dirt. Oh, that's me. But I know that if I push through the hard part, getting to the end of looking around and feeling that the place is together, like like don't 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 at me like the last month my house has just been like a (laughs) depression nest so um our mutual friend uh nori came over last night i was like okay just give me like 20 minutes to try and get this place presentable Mm -hmm. and even then i was like this is uh this is as clean as it's going to be right now sweetheart um so she was like oh don't worry about it yeah um but for me, uh, I was not going to feel comfortable yeah. until I could get it looking at a certain level.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And knowing oneself is, is a huge part of a mental health journey.
0: Oh, yeah. Knowing oneself. <laughs> um, for sure. And I and it's interesting even now, like, it's, you know, settling into my 20s. Because <laughs> um,
1: you're 23?
0: Two. Two. Yeah, yeah. Gonna turn 23 this year, which is really insane because I just feel like it's just gone by so quickly that I that it was like yesterday that I was like, What am I gonna do for my 21st? and yada yada, yada but whatever. <laughs> um, that like I don't know, getting to that point of like self acceptance, but I was thinking about this a while back that I feel as though with that same thing of like knowing who you are, it's also about. Being all right with your flaws and not seeing yourself as this like perfect entity, and like, and that your self worth is not based on like, you know, superficial things or materialistic things, and more so knowing, like, for me, I know that I'm a very emotional person, and so I really value like the relationships that I have with people and time that I spend with people but then like my biggest insecurity would probably be the comparing myself to other people and when it comes to success like I'm always very happy like genuinely happy for people but I always have this fear of like
1: I'm not good enough
0: yeah or like getting left behind sort of thing and or like I feel that or, like, things won't work out or just, you know, when I've got, like, a thought of, like, oh, I really want that. And then I'll be like, oh, no, but I can't do that. Who's going to look at me? You know, just stuff like that. And kind of once you understand that part of you, like, there is negative side that you're kind of able to, not that I'm, like, professional person, but this is just my opinion, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And. I I I, know, I hear exactly what you're saying, and I can echo that completely. As insecurities of my own is being left behind, mm. like I'm a few years older than you, and um, I know that in terms of measuring success, like my perception of what I would have achieved by the time I in this age is so far removed from what the reality is. Yeah, like. My brother is 25 and he bought a house, built a house last year. Mm. You know, my cousin's around the same age and younger have all bought houses. Mm. I do not have that. Yeah. Um, You know, I don't have a career. I'm not engaged. I, you know, like certain... Things that we're made to believe that we will have by a certain age that will make us happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't meet that criteria, the failure. Yeah. And you know, I'm staring down the barrel of 30, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes I do get that little voice that's like, oh, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have a career? When are you going to buy a home? When are you going to get the, you know, Two and a half kids and the goldfish with the white, white picket fence. Where is it? And, you know, I have to remind myself, it's like, do I actually want those things? Mm. I don't know if I want children. I don't think, like, I can in good conscience raise a child in this world knowing all the terrible things that go on and that the there world. are so many other children in the world who are alive already and need a good home.
0: Yeah. Am
1: I going to be in a, uh, a headspace and in a space of my life where I can provide that child with everything that they need without negatively impacting them. And mm. as I've gotten older, you know, you, you come to terms in peace with, like, your parents' failings more. But, like, there is not a person alive who hasn't got some kind of, like, scar from their parents because they're people.
0: Yeah, they're people. And as you grow older, you realise that your parents aren't perfect because when you're younger, you know, everyone is perfect and you, you like, love and the energy that you give to others is so pure. Yes. And then it kind of becomes contaminated by the world and your environment.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself.
0: Oh, Cynthia. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um quickly wrapping up, so I've been doing this stuff where
1: yeah. um
0: I basically ask everyone sure. a set of questions, all the same questions, if I can just
1: yeah.
0: find it. Okay, here it is.
1: <clears throat>
0: um who has influenced you the most in your life?
1: Is it too conceited conceded to say myself? Because um I've always been the one who has helped me. Mm. Um, You know, down I've hit rock bottom a few times and every single time. You know, I might have different members of of my support network there helping me, but there's only so much other people can do. It's you who has control over that and you have to take those steps and hold yourself accountable to pick yourself up dust yourself off yeah your friends can be there to hold your hand but they can't walk in your shoes
0: yeah I think I've said this on this blog blog podcast if I can't remember but my best friend's mum said this thing um a couple of nights ago and it really stuck with me she said no one else can feel your pain I think we were talking about I don't know, maybe
1: boys or like
0: mm. deaf or something like that.
1: <laughs> something really like bright and, and rosy to be <laughs> just speaking about every dinner.
0: <laughs> something like that. And we were talking about, you know, once you're going through loss or, you know, heartbreak or whatnot, your friends can give you advice and they can be there for you, but no one is gonna be there, you know, in the night to even if they held you they can't
1: feel your They're pain. They're not in your be- body like you can only ever describe it mm. and it's always going to be a secondhand experience.
0: Yeah a 100% I really like that. Um, who would you you know living or dead who would you invite to dinner?
1: My mum because I don't know who she is and my entire life you know like her side of the family she was always like built up to be this perfect human being Mm. and you know she she not being there you know my dad was typecast as the villain and you know for a long time I'd always like tell myself like oh I wish you know she didn't die you know things would be different if you know she had if he, he died instead you know like rationalizing this the way I would feel and, you know, I got to about 25 and I sort of sat back and I realised, like, yeah, it'd be different, but it wouldn't necessarily be better. Like, I don't know who she is, like, or what her style is. So for me, I, I would want to know who my mum was intimately because, you know, I've got this very narrow sort of snapshot of, of my experience and you know, I I see photos, and we do the same. We've got expressions that match, and it just goes to show you like how deep seated like that genetic makeup <laughs> is, and yeah,
0: you genetics. know, like our
1: humor is the same.
0: Oh really? Is that what people tell you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, she was. She had a knack for like impressions. Mm. And does that
0: always? Does that in any way make you feel like comforted to know that you guys? like similarities yeah
1: I mean it it definitely gives me an insight into it gave me insight into who I was at a stage where I wasn't too sure who I was Mm. and I think if I was to have like an intimate dinner with my mother I would have an even deeper understanding of who I am than I do now
0: yeah well I kind of believe in an afterlife and you know I feel as though one day you definitely are going to meet her
1: I definitely feel her presence, like, and with my own, like, spirituality and how I practice that. Like, I've worked with her energy, um, but it's very different, obviously, to who she was as a person in this lifetime.
0: Yeah, 100%, for sure. Um, (laughs) What meal would you eat if you
1: had one day to live? Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> Korean fried chicken, like just Korean. I love kimchi. I love traditional Korean food. I love that, that like, you'll sit down and there's a hundred different bowls and there's different I, We literally had a
0: conversation about this because I was um, telling Blair when I went to LA, one of my good friends um took me to this, like, Korean place. And I'd never been to, like, any sort of Korean place before. And even before our mains came out, they just brought all these, like, mini, like, sides. And I was just, like, what is this? I was, like, in (laughs) trance.
1: Oh, my God. So, yeah, just Korean. Uh, I love... I love the different textures, temperatures, and um, I'm just a big fan of spice, so kimchi and that, like, fermented, funky, crunchy Mm. mouthfeel for me is just, like, yeah.
0: Oh, my God, yum. Um, What's the best advice you've ever received? Um, Wow. That's –
1: this is the first question that's actually stumped me. Um, (laughs) I actually
0: thought that. I was, like, hmm, for once, Blair doesn't know what
1: to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I feel attacked. (laughs) Um, I'd probably say going back to, um, taking care of your, like, physical body to take care of your mental state has probably been the most, like, helpful, practical advice that I've been given. But, um, I'd say, um, another one would also just be learning to love yourself, like, um, flaws in all physical emotional and being the best person you can be yeah like for me a lot of my motivations are about like am I going to lay awake at night and question the action that I took am I going to be okay with other people knowing that I did this yeah and um just striving to be an accountable responsible human being I think is the is a good one too, so that's three yeah. three. So I'll just stop it there before I end up giving you five.
0: <laughs> um, my friend, oh wait, I wanted to show you something. Like, uh, I don't know. Oh, wait, let's see if I can find it. My friend, one of my friends, posted this thing on her Instagram story, and it was so like spot on. I was just like oh my gosh and then I sent it to one of my other friends who she and I always have like a lot of conversations about like spirituality and whatnot yeah oh damn I don't think I can find it but here's like another one that's like still pretty good that I like screenshot it and it's like be so fucking committed to your growth you're willing to say no without guilt and yes without fear I, I really that. like that one. But the other one is way better if actually I found it yes, yes. this is the one. Um, your competition isn't other people. your competition is your procrastination, your ego, the unhealthy food you're consuming, the knowledge you the knowledge you neglect, the negative behavior you're nurturing and your lack of creativity compete against that. Yes. I really liked that one and I like screenshotted it and I was like
1: that's really profound and a hundred percent like I know that I can be my own worst critic and I yeah. can hold myself back because of that
0: yeah and, and I feel like so. everyone is kind of like that like I'm so harsh on myself like you know and so like picky and so but then in a way I'm like, that's kind of a good thing because I, I want myself to succeed. I want to be proud of, you know, what I've done, the way I've impacted people, the way that I make myself feel. So that can go hand in hand. It's
1: definitely being aware of that, mm. making sure you're using that energy towards self betterment and not yeah, just to bring oneself down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good thing to like, you know, just dis- make that distinguishment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the last one, if you could spread one
1: message to the world, what would it be? We're all here just trying our best. <laughs> life is shit. <laughs> Try and make those around you and those that come into contact with you their experience less shit. Mm.
0: <laughs>
1: That's how I live my life. Yeah. Like, and it, if it just comes down to me telling some random person on the street, hey, I really like your outfit. Oh, my God, yes. I do that all the time.
0: It's actually such a cool thing. Like, I remember a while back, there's this girl called Jessica Clements, who is, like, a YouTuber.
1: Um,
0: And I remember listening to one of her, like, watching one of her videos sort of stuff, and she was, like, giving people compliments. It's just, like, but only... Give that person a compliment if you truly like mean it, exactly. sort of thing.
1: I don't just leave and I'm like, oh, hate that shirt. Oh, love
0: that on you, that <laughs> mean girls.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> the ugliest shirt I've ever seen. So <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I'll only do it if I actually mean it. Yeah, because it comes across more genuinely.
0: Oh yeah, of course.
1: And it. Can really light someone up. You know, most of the time it will catch people by surprise.
0: Yeah. But
1: I know for the rest of the day they're gonna have a smile on their face thinking back to that. That
0: literally happens to me sometimes that like people will be like, oh, you look really nice at the end. I'll be like, oh my god, thank you. Also. Oh my gosh. But anyways, um, thank you so much for coming onto Taylor and just been open and just
1: sharing and
0: yeah
1: oh it's absolutely been my pleasure I've been so excited about this ever since you asked me to be about a part of it and um it's been an honor and thank you so much for giving me the time to talk to you
0: oh my god stop it oh my god <laughs> build one each other each other up guys <laughs> oh my god anyways thank you guys so much for listening and I will catch you next time I love how I literally sound like I'm 12 years old but <laughs> <laughs> just I'm like you you. you.
1: You sound like me when i'm trying to sell to someone like
0: oh my god you should so buy that (laughs) (laughs) okay we're gonna leave you guys ciao bye Bye. (laughs) if you or a friend is needing a safe space to talk about mental health we recommend headspace lifeline and beyond blue Thank you for listening to Taylou. To explore more Taylou things, visit the blog at taylou.me. You'll find further articles, visuals, and a space to think, learn, and grow.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50